All right, Matthew chapter 4. Last week, uh, Dad was in um, the first part, and uh, we'll uh, jump in starting at chapter, I'm, I'm sorry, at uh, verse 12. Uh, also, you can go ahead and get a finger in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we'll be heading there in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 9, in addition to Matthew chapter so we know the, um, the context of Matthew. He's walking us through um, this, um, uh, the story of Jesus. And we've heard about John the Baptist saying he's going to prepare the way. And uh, we've heard several references um, by Matthew um, to fulfillment of prophecy. We're going to see some more of that in just a few minutes. And uh, Matthew is clearly trying to introduce uh, Jesus to this, uh, uh, this audience. And uh, we assume from the many Jewish references uh, throughout the book that he's really targeting uh, a Jewish audience um, and trying to make the point that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And the gospel, that is good news. So um, let's jump on in with um, verse 12 of chapter 4 of Matthew. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Uh, we're talking about Jesus here. Verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So our timeline here is now when he had heard John had been arrested. The baptism of Jesus um, and the wilderness experience had uh, taken place um, in the mid to maybe slightly southern part of the country. And we know uh, John had been arrested later in Matthew and chapter 14, it tells us why. Matthew 14, 3 says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So uh, Herod did not like it that it wasn't good to um, be with his sister-in-law. So uh, he put John in jail. And uh, that's what uh, this is referring to when he heard that John had been arrested. So uh, Jesus said, you know, things are getting a little tight here. Um, I'm going to move uh, into a different territory. And it says that he went to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So that takes us back to Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 9. If we look at these verses in Matthew still, Matthew 15, I'm sorry, 4.15 says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 9. We've talked before that Matthew knew his audience, and by 
quoting these verses uh, would have been very obvious um, reference to the Messiah. Uh, we've heard jokes through the years. And when somebody starts off the joke, we kind of know where it's going, right? Have you heard the one about the guy who was praying and the boat comes by and you know the joke? It ends with a helicopter, right? So just by saying like a few phrases there, most of you have heard that joke and you, you kind of just knew the story, right? That same phenomenon is happening with Matthew's audience. He says, he, Jesus left Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Then he starts to quote Isaiah, verse 15, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So if you go back to Isaiah chapter 9, we'll learn a little bit more about this particular territory. Verse 1, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So even back in Isaiah's day, this was Galilee of the nations, or as Matthew says, Galilee of the Gentiles. I don't have my map up, but... Um, I don't know, I'll take a, I may be trying to do a little too much technology-wise. In the northern part of Israel, around the area of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, were the tribes, or the land that was a portion to Zebulun and Naphtali. So let me see if I can get this to work. You want the lights up? That might be good. Thank you, Don. Ah, we have map. So on this map, um, you'll see this is the Sea of Galilee. And this purple was the part that was apportioned to Zebulun, and this yellow, the part that was apportioned to Naphtali. So this is in the northern part, and the significance of this is that this is the part of the nation that was closest, you can turn it back on, thanks. This was a part of the nation that was closest to the invading armies. First the Assyrians, later the Babylonians, so this was the first territory that was invaded. So they got the most influence from the outside. Uh, so as we move forward hundreds of years to Jesus' day, those invading armies left, left their mark. Uh, there were cultural things that were uh, uh, left over. There were cities that had been started by followers of Alexander the Great. Uh, there were many evidences of Gentile influence. 
Uh, and that's why it's called Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so when we think that you know, Jesus was uh, raised in Nazareth, uh, this was um, on the fringes of uh, the influence of Jerusalem. Uh, there were many uh, people that he would have come in contact with over the course of his routine life uh, where people were Gentiles. And so it's, it's of significance that uh, he starts this ministry there, and it is fulfillment of the prophecy. So if, if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. So what is the darkness that these people have been walking in? Well, it's the darkness of all these pagan influences, right? Uh, obviously, the sun was shining just as brightly there as it was down in Jerusalem. But this territory, because it had been influenced by the invading armies of uh, Syria and Babylon, and it was on some uh, trade routes, um, uh, even as people um, came back after the exile, uh, would have come through this territory. Uh, this was a really different feel um, and it was in many ways spiritually dark. So as, as Matthew starts to reference these passages, it's going to automatically make people think of the rest of the passage that wasn't quoted. So if you go down to uh, verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Now at the time that Isaiah wrote this, was this before David or after David? This was after David. So now Isaiah is saying someone is going to establish the throne of David forever and all is going to be made right. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and all of these things are going to apply to him. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, and so forth. And we recognize that those are familiar phrases to us, especially as we uh, launch into Christmas. I think uh, as soon as... Um, like the last candy is given out, then the next day Christmas carols start. Um, Christmas is fun. I mean, let's face it. But these are, these, are, these are prophetic words that are now being recalled by Matthew to this group of people. And we go back to Matthew now. We've talked before that he calls out when prophecies are being fulfilled. The latter part of verse 14, so what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So when he introduces this land of Zebulun and Naphtali, who had been in darkness from all of these outside cultural influences, and now the fulfillment of that is that Jesus is starting his ministry there, and he is bringing the light. So they can look forward, okay, Jesus is bringing the light. He is bringing the fulfillment of all of those prophecies that 
Matthew doesn't quote, but he is certainly calling to mind and basically saying to his people, this is the Messiah. All of those promises that you've been waiting for, literally hundreds of years, it's happening. It is going to happen. And so when he leads into verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. So we have this big shift where really the first four chapters have been introducing Jesus, laying out his credentials, saying, this is, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the fulfillment of everything that's been promised. And now he began to preach, and we see the message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, this is the same message that John the Baptist was preaching, but even more so, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, you got to repent of your sins. you got to turn to God. And the reality is, now it's happening. Now it's really happening. Verse 18. We have this shift now. Uh, Matthew is has called to mind the fulfillment of prophecy. And now, um, beginning at 418 and on for chapters and chapters and chapters, now we're into the ministry of Jesus. We're going to meet some disciples today, and then as we go forward, uh, we'll see how they are taught and trained. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It would be strange if they were casting a net into the sea and they weren't fishermen. <laughs> but maybe, maybe they were like professional fishermen, and of course we think they were. Um, nobody who saw me casting a net would call me a fisherman. Um, I have tried, and, and I am not one. Verse 19, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. The connection there, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, connecting, hey, you guys have been catching fish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to catch men. Uh, I want you to follow me. This is not the first time that they've met, right? This is not the first time that they've met. When we were talking about John the Baptist, we hear that. So you don't necessarily have to turn, but in John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, The next day, now this is after, um, this is after the, John had baptized Jesus. And I don't know if you got into the timeline last time, Dad. We had... Um, I don't know what this is. <laughs> Apple has decided to do something crazy. Promote their television product, which I'm not interested in promoting. I, I'm, I must admit I'm a little unclear on the timeline, and, and the recording didn't work last week, so I didn't get to hear how Dad handled this. But um, in one part we say, after the baptism, Jesus went to the desert and was tempted. 
Here in John, it says the next day after the baptism, John meets two of his disciples. It says the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and, they, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. So they had, uh, these two had met Jesus. They had spent the night with him on this one occasion. So here we are sometime later uh, after the temptation and so forth. And so when they see Jesus, they know who he is. And so when he calls them, they kind of know what's going on because John has already introduced him. And uh, obviously the, the Holy Spirit has prepared their hearts. And it says, Verse 19 of back to Matthew, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Before they could become fishers of men, what had to happen? They had to be followers first, right? We know that they would become disciples, which basically means one who is taught. But before they could become disciples, they had to become followers. And that's, I think, a critical thing to say, follow me. Because in following them, that started their education, right? They had an upfront view of everything that was going to happen. And, of course, we know that, that of these four initial um, disciples, that they became uh, the greater part of his inner circle. That they, they were there at the start. Um, they knew him before he started his ministry. They were right there at the very first, and, and they could watch him. And very often, many of the things that Jesus actually did were, was for the, the purpose of educating his disciples. Uh, when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to feed these 5,000, but the important thing is what you folks can learn, <laughs> right? I mean, it's kind of, a, kind of a big demonstration just to teach a lesson, but... Um, the purpose was part of their education about who he was and, and what he was able to do. Uh, one commentator summed it up and said, the one condition necessary to their becoming fishers of men was to follow me. Into this two-word command are many implications. Jesus was saying, live with me, learn by watching me, own my values and priorities, learn to become passionate for the things I live for, and follow my example by doing the ministry I have come to do. That's a lot, right? Now, I wonder 
when we present what we would call the plan of salvation, right? Do we talk about this up front? Now listen, there's good news for you here. You're a sinner. Your destiny is, is hell. The good news is you can be with Jesus by accepting his offer. But he wants you to follow him. He wants you to think that the things that are important to him are important to you. He wants you to spend the rest of your life trying to make your life look like his. That's, that's a little bit more of a complete presentation, right? But that was what it was. Come follow me, and so forth. All right, a few more minutes. Let's hear what happens next. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He went throughout all Galilee. So we've talked about this area, this territory. Um, the names are familiar to us. Capernaum, um, uh, a little north of there is Caesarea, which we'll hear about. Um, all around this territory, they say it's, uh, those of you that have been there, they say it's one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Um, cosmopolitan in some ways. Now, obviously, it was countryside. There were a lot of villages and so forth, but again, uh, many Gentile influences, and, and so a wide variety of people were coming to hear him. But where was he teaching? It says he was teaching in the synagogue. So what does that tell you? Although Gentiles were coming to hear him, from a proactive standpoint, he was still wanting to get the message out uh, to his Jewish listeners, so he was in the synagogues. Um, the synagogues, of course, uh, were places of teaching. Um, it wasn't the temple, right? So sacrifices weren't happening there. That would only happen in the temple. But these are places of teaching and, and probably started when they were in exile where they could meet and gather because they were, you know, hundreds of miles from the temple. Uh, but this was the, the concept of the uh, synagogue probably started then. And, of course, continues today but uh, in the absence of the temple. It says he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So uh, this has a prophetic tone to it, right? Um, because, you know, throughout their history, when, when the Jews heard from God, it was through the lips of the prophets. Um, we talked about John the Baptist being the last Old Testament prophet, this Messiah, they would have expected a prophet, someone speaking with force, with authority. And so this concept of the kingdom of heaven was the prophetic message. But then this healing every disease and affliction was the authentication of his uh, uh, stature as a prophet or his identity as a prophet. Um, you know, Elisha and Elijah, you know, there were miracles associated with that. And here Jesus is doing miracles. And it says in verse 24, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, which may have referred to maybe not what we think of Syria today, but 
but again, those areas to the north of the, the Sea of Galilee. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. From a medicine standpoint, we are um, a long way from the medicines that were available uh, back then. But when you get down to it, most of what modern medicine does is um, it's fairly straightforward. I mean, God bless our surgeons. They can actually fix things and take things out, right? Um, so, so high marks to our surgeons. Um, antibiotics are great. They can actually fix things. Uh, a lot of what I do is just trying to hold off chronic disease stuff, right? So I, I basically can just tap the brakes on some things. Um, probably modern sanitation has done more for people's health than anything doctors would ever do. But in spite of, even if you give us credit for all sorts of stuff, the things that are on this list, there's not much that can heal a paralytic. You know, the, the, the best we've got is if you've seen these artificial body suits that they're putting in, it looks like something off sci-fi where a person gets put into one of these contraptions and his brain tells these artificial legs to move. Uh, that's as good as we've got. But it says here, Jesus was healing paralytics. Nobody can, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. His fame spread throughout all Syria. Verse 25, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. The Decapolis were those ten cities I was referring to um, that were established by followers from Alexander the Great. And from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So he's, he's hanging out in that northern territory. But word has spread so far that now people are coming from Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding areas. And great crowds followed him. Um, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't social media. There wasn't newspapers and so forth. So, of course, this is all basically word of mouth. Um, hey, did you hear about what's happening up in Galilee? There's this prophet up there you guys would not believe. I mean, I saw him heal a guy, and, it, and not just once. There was a lot going on. People, there were sick people all over the place, and they were walking off, and they were not sick. You would not believe what's Oh, you're kidding me. That's Yeah, no, seriously, you should go up there. I'm going back. You should come with me. Right? Uh, I've not heard anything like this. This is better than John the Baptist. He was pretty good, but, but this guy, oh my word. I mean, that would, you know, word of mouth, just talking up more and more. I mean, we use the word hype. There was a lot of hype going on. And next week, Chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, sat down, his disciples came to him, and then, of course, 
that'll start off um, this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, heading into the Beatitudes. So here in this chapter, and we'll, we'll quit a, a little bit early, we have this transition from the introduction of Jesus, the introduction of his ministry, the, the declaration of the authenticity of his ministry, not just from fulfillment, fulfillment of prophecy, but because he had uh, performed all of these signs and wonders. Um, truly amazing. The key for me for this passage was considering the territory where he was starting. It was that territory that had been in darkness. It was that territory that was the first to see the light. And you don't have to be in some backwater part of the country or part of the world to be spiritually dark. We can look pretty closely and find spiritual darkness. It's as close as our nearest computer monitor. I don't know what Apple was trying to present. I may have had spiritual darkness up there on the screen. My apologies if there was. Um, I mean, it's close to us, right? And I know all of our contacts, we don't have to look far among them to see where dark influences have affected them. So until Jesus comes back, we're Jesus to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, which just so happens to be Lancaster. Followers, disciples, which is what we're doing now, for the purpose of hanging out and being good? No, for the purpose of being fishers of men. You guys have heard this quote. I may not get it right, but basically it says one of the challenges throughout history of the church has been to fight the tendency to be keepers of the aquarium rather than catchers of the fish. And, you know, I know um, Pastor is, is trying to encourage us all to, to reach out more. And I think as we show our willingness, God will bring people our way um, that, we can, that we can minister to. And um, so that'll be, our, that'll be our, our goal. All right, that'll wrap things up. Any comments, questions? All right, so ch- chapter 5 next week. Dear Father, I thank you for uh, who you are and that we get to be a part of this big, um, this big story, uh, that we get to see uh, a glimpse of what it was like when Jesus was first starting out. Um, we thank you for the faithfulness of those early disciples and pray that we can have the same uh, attitude to follow, the same uh, receptiveness for the teaching and the same Uh, courage uh, for the catching. Uh, Keep us mindful and and make us alert to the opportunities that you bring our way this week. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.